Welcome to episode 42 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I'm your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by your trusty co-host, Jackson the Son, and thanks to this movie, I'm now an accredited expert in classic Italian rock. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, let me go ahead and apologize ahead of time. We've been talking about this off-air for a while. Apparently, the Skype gods are not being kind to us today. We've had a bit of an echo that we cannot get rid of, so we apologize for that. But before we get to it, how have you been keeping busy during this lockdown, buddy? Watching movies, plain and simple. That's all I've got to do, basically. So what have you been watching, pal? Well, um, I haven't watched a lot that I've reviewed because it's mostly been rewatches. But uh, as of late, I watched the entire original Creature from the Black Lagoon trilogy uh, for a Patreon video, which I'm posting today, actually right after this podcast. Oh, nice. Um, and so I did the first three Creature from the Black Lagoon films and The Shape of Water um, and kind of compared each of them. And I also watched the absolutely bonkers uh, Nicolas Cage movie, H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, Color Out of Space. And I couldn't tell if I loved it or hated it because my emotions fluctuated so much between scenes. So I just gave it a, a 2.5 out of 5 right down the middle because it was it was so varying in quality. I, the only way I can describe it is it's trippy. Is Cage being full out Cage in it? Because I haven't seen he, it yet. He gets there. At the beginning, you're like, oh, okay, he's going to be more reserved. No, he goes full. There's full Cage screaming fits and him singing opera and prancing around. It's all in there. Uh, they do let him go full Cage eventually, which is funny because I took a look at the short story and it seems pretty tame. Okay. Yeah, I I was a big H.P. Lovecraft fan in college. I haven't read a lot of his stuff since then, but... Um, I've been, it's, it was my birthday this week, it was Megan's birthday this week. For my birthday, I ate a lot of crap, watched James <laughs> Bond movies because I've been listening to the uh, audiobook, Nobody Does It Better, The Uncensored History of James Bond. I am a James Bond fan. Um, and so I've been doing that. I watched Gold Nine from Russia with Love on my birthday. Um, I host a couple's trivia night on Friday nights. So, unfortunately, that means I have not been able to catch season two of The Last Drive-In yet, but I hope to soon. Have you been watching any of Joe Bob? I have not seen it. And that's a, that's a huge, uh, you know, I've, that's been weighing on my conscience this week. I'm like, I really need to tune into Joe Bob and see what everybody was tweeting about. But then every time I start, I, I think of something I've got to do. So, um, I think tonight's the night when I start, you know, really working on that, chipping away at that. Um, but of course, I've also got like schoolwork and editing work and whatnot. Well, of course, last week he did Chopping Mall and Blood Sucking Freaks. And this last Friday night, he shocked everybody by doing Maniac with Tom Savini on. And then he did Heathers. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is a huge range in genres and guest appearances. Now, I got to ask you, was Tom Savini like full Tom Savini or was he doing a stage? Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't seen it so yet. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. Um, you know, I've had a different experience with Tom Savini than our buddies Greg Amortis and Sean Davis had. I spent the day with Tom Savini at Camp Novi Bosco, and he was wonderful the entire time. Um, now, I, I, after watching his documentary, I do know that he's suffering from uh, arthritis, crippling arthritis. So he's right. he he has problems, and so. I think some of the times when people have complained he's been a jerk, you know what? Maybe he's just been in 
really a lot of pain. Yeah. And and he's had to put up with people's crap for like forty some years now, so that can that can you know get annoying after a while when when everybody's walking up to you and getting you to sign stuff. Yeah, but I mean, the day I spent with him, and I sat next to him. I got there early in the morning. It was very cold. He was sitting next to the fireplace uh, from the original Friday Thirteenth, which is in an open air fireplace, by the way. That's not inside a cabin. Mm. Um. And he was sitting there talking to people over breakfast and he was very nice. And then over lunch, you know, he was sitting there with his assistant and his wife and he was very nice. And then when I went up and got our uh, Friday 13th part four masks, you and I signed by him and got a picture with him. He was very nice. And then when he watched the original Friday 13th on the beach with everybody, he was very nice. So, you know, some people just have bad days, you know, Mm -hmm. so. Uh, but when I watched the documentary about him on Shudder, where he said, you know, he didn't say arthritis, but it's pretty much implied. He said he can't do what he used to be able to do with his hands. That's why he quit doing special effects. Right. And, you know, he's in his seventies and, and he's in really good shape for his seventies, but still, if you have arthritis, it's, it's tough, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel for the guy, but other than that, other than missing out on the last drive in, which I hope to catch up on, um, Watching James Bond movies and uh, watching a movie for our podcast this week. I've been checking on the church building, walking around the church building a lot, doing a lot of reading for my doctoral work. So that's about, you know, that's been my thing. The lockdown hasn't been as painful for me as a radical introvert. I don't know about you, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really seeing any difference. Us horror movie fans, for the most part, we're content to stay in and watch some some schlock. You know, we don't want to go out and party. But, uh, yeah, I know for a lot of people it is affecting them mentally, you know, pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Megan, my wife, is about to bounce off the walls because she's an extrovert. And it was her birthday also this week. But... She also had to bury her grandmother this week, who she was very, very close to. So, and a lot of people, a lot of listeners chimed in and on Facebook and and sent their prayers and good thoughts, and I appreciate that very much. So, uh, tough week to have a her thirtieth birthday and lose her grandmother. But anyway, appreciate everyone who reached out, Greg and Pearl and Doctor Shock and all others. That that's very, very nice, Greg Bench. Big Bill, all those people. Thank you so much. So, but anyway, we are counting down to what would have been a horror icon's 93rd birthday in June. So, this month, we are paying tribute to the late great Italian filmmaker Lucio Fulci. So, buddy, what's your experience been, if any, with Fulci up to now? None, for the most part. Um, now, I had seen parts of, of the movie we're talking about today, uh, and I had heard the HMP podcast on the Gates of Hell trilogy, but I hadn't sat down and watched a movie in full from him, though obviously I'd heard his name and I knew he was a big influence in the genre. And I'm not sure, do you consider him a, a giallo director? Or is he just more of a horror director, like, broadly? He's a horror director, broadly. I mean, he got his start in the horror genre um, doing giallos, but he expanded beyond that to be sure. So, I mean, I, I see a lot of promise in this movie for sure. And I'm excited to, you know, work through his career, but, you know, just looking at what I assume is his first real feature. I mean, it's very impressive. It wasn't his first real feature. He actually has a long history. I'll get to that in a second, but, um, 
my introduction to Fulci was via Zombie or Zombie Two. All right. Call it. Uh, on VHS back in the 80s. That was my introduction to Fulci. Um, you know, on the one hand, I would say this. I think he has made very few films that I would say are objectively, from a technical aspect, great films mm-hmm. as far as writing, acting, but but they're all fun. And he has his own style. And I admire that. I really, really do. And so... I am I I can be highly critical of Fulci, but I really love his movies. I really do. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I get that. Um, you know, I have some complaints with this movie, which I'm sure we'll get to that. But uh, I definitely did was entertained the entire time, which is something that I can't say with a lot of people who are trying to be super masterful and artsy, you know, and just focusing on the technical stuff. All right, all right, and one of these days, uh, maybe, Lord willing, this year we'll get to a tribute to an Italian filmmaker that I think is a technical genius, which is Dario Argento, but until then, uh, Mr. Fulci, um, he was born June uh, June 1927 in Rome. Uh, He was raised by a single mother who wanted him to be a lawyer. He attended medical school, which may have something to do with the core, Um, but he dropped out. Uh, to enter the Italian film industry. He supplemented his income by working as an art critic for an Italian magazine. He worked his way up in the Italian film industry, doing everything from assistant directing work, you know, getting coffee, whatever, um, until he got to be a screenwriter. And I don't know if this will shock you or not, he got his start in the 1950s as a screenwriter writing Italian comedies. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it. This the Don't Torture Duckling has a lot of comedic beats in it, but it's a far cry from a comedy film. Well, yeah, but you know, we discussed a couple weeks ago The Exorcist. William Peter Blatty got his right. start, you know, writing comedies for Blake Edwards, mm-hmm. and so it seems to be. And then, of course, we've gushed all over Jordan Peele. So there yeah. seems to be a connection, and of course. Donnie McBride is a comedy writer and performer who helped co-write Halloween 2018. So you're saying that being funny all the time makes you just want to kill some people on screen. (laughs) I think it gives you a great sense of timing, which is important in horror. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to trace down those those movies from the 50s because I'd be very interested to see what Fulci would do with a 50s comedy script. Well, that's how he started. I mean, I'd. But like I said, it's not unprecedented. And so, mm-hmm. but he, as a director, he jumped on the Giallo bandwagon actually in the late 60s and went on to direct. I have not seen his Giallo he did in like 68, 69. Uh, his first Giallo that I've seen was Lizard in a Woman's Skin in 1971, um, which is hard to find. You have to buy the, you have to pay like 28 bucks for the Blu ray today to see it. Um, I saw the aforementioned Zombie or Zombie 2 um, on VHS. He's done the Psychic, which is one of my favorites, the Gates of Hell trilogy, including House by the Cemetery, City of the Living Dead, and the Beyond. He also directed the New York Ripper with the Duck Killer, uh, Murder Rock, Enigma, Cat on the Brain, his version of the Black Cat, which is, a, which is on Amazon Prime right now, 
The Devil's Honey, he directed at least part of Zombie 3, though he left uh, about three-fourths of the way of filming because he was fighting with the producers. Um, For years, the press, especially the European film press, helped spur on a rivalry between him and Dario Argento. They finally met in 1994 when Fulci was in poor health. He died in 1996 at the age of 68 from complications due to diabetes. Once he and Argento actually met, they actually really liked each other and they were going to work with each other. Argento was going to produce a movie that Fulci was going to write and direct called The Wax Mask. Um, Argento actually paid for his funeral um, because Fulci was fairly poor when he died. They found him in a cramped apartment, dead in his sleep. And the guy had lived a tough life. Um, His wife committed suicide in 1969 after discovering she had inoperable cancer. He had a child that had been paralyzed in a car accident that he took care of. He lived a tough, tough life. Yeah, wow. Now I'm impressed. Yeah, I haven't read his uh bio there are several biographies about Fulci out there i haven't read them i want to it's just because of my doctoral programs i don't have the time to I, I, I but i really want to because by all accounts he was a really sweet guy uh, before he died he attended a fan event in new york city and he was moved to tears because so many like thousands of people showed up and we're like chanting Fulci, 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 and we're lined up to get his autograph. And he was crying because he didn't know he had such a following. He was a pretty poor guy living in a one-bedroom apartment in Rome, and he had no idea that he had that kind of following. That's crazy that he didn't have any money after writing so many, I guess they're cult classics, but they're well-known in the, in the, you know, for fans of the genre. Well, I don't know if it was his agent's fault or whatever. He just didn't see a lot of residuals, so he just didn't didn't make a lot of money. That's sad. Yeah, it is. So, But one of the fans who helped revive interest in his films in the 90s was none other than Quentin Tarantino. Of course it would be Tarantino. I think he's <laughs> probably seen every movie ever. Yeah, but he loves Fulci, and he describes him as a huge influence. I mean... I don't see it, but of course, if I were to talk to Quentin, he would make it all make sense. Yeah, as he does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he's an enigma wrapped in a mystery inside of a riddle, to steal mm-hmm. an Oliver Stone quote. Yeah, so, but with that introduction, let's jump in and discuss one of his early entries into the horror genre from 1972, Don't Torture a Duckling. Thirteen devils enter someone's mouth, and he kills. Who? Who does the killing? Anybody. Man or woman. Was a child of the devil. I told you. I don't know. 
Filippino. No one's ever been killed because of magic. No one. It's all nonsense. Oh, she was born here. Her father made a fortune in Milan. Come on. I won't bite you. I'm coming. Apparently, she was implicated in a drug scandal a few months ago. I don't know any of the details, but her father seemed to think she'd better stay here. I wouldn't say she's your most devout parishioner. I know. In fact, it's only since she arrived here that funny things have been going on. What do you mean? Nothing. It's just sometimes you get suspicious of everyone. I'll break you! Which would you prefer, a kiss or money? If you want, I'll carry the child. First viewing for you? It was my first full viewing. I had seen clips from it before. Um, I don't remember why, but I definitely knew the title. And, uh, you know, sitting down, I knew it was about child murder. So I knew I was getting into something that was going to be a little depressing. But I was not prepared for how it opens. Which is Oh, so boy. Within the first five minutes of the movie, we see uh, Machara. Is that her name? How you say her name? Uh, something like that, yeah. She's digging up, or she's she's dig- putting the dirt back on a baby skeleton in a graveyard. Or is she just burying it? I, she, I, she lo- I thought she was digging it up. Well, she's, so she's digging up a baby skeleton. Right. And then we see kids smoking cigarettes underneath this, this huge bypass. And by the way, uh, this movie hit, you know, closer to home than I was expecting with that giant bypass, you know, looming over everything. I was thinking about Portsmouth. But um, we get baby skeletons, little kids smoking cigarettes, solicitation of prostitution, gross, dreamily edited voodoo doll usage. I mean, it is just like bombarding you with really, really disturbing stuff within the first 10 minutes. And that just gets worse from there. I mean, it is... Ugh. It is not a, it's not an easy watch. So it's not shocking to you that this film was banned in a number of countries. Oh, it definitely makes sense. I mean, even if you just read the back of the VHS and you saw, oh, child murders? No, thank you. I mean, the IMDb thing says something about, yeah, here we go. It says, a reporter and a promiscuous young woman try to solve a series of, of child killings. So, I mean, just looking at that, when they would ban stuff like Friday the 13th, this was banned to be, or this is bound to be banned. It's hard to say. Yeah, absolutely. And now the ironic thing is it was banned because they claimed it was anti-Catholic. But Fulci Mm. considered himself a Catholic, a loyal Catholic, until he died. Yeah, I don't think it's anti-Catholic so much as the fact that the villain turns out to happen to be Catholic. It's just incidental. Spoiler alert. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're a spoiler podcast. We are. We are. At some point. Yeah. Yeah. Most horror movies that concern uh, people of the Catholic faith 
are derogatory, I think, where n- not with that the exception of the exorcist. Yeah, the exorcist and don't torture a duckling, I guess. But um, usually, even if they're not, well, the- I, I, my point was they're actually the exact opposite. I mean, it's in the exorcist, the priests are still heroes, right? Yeah, even still- though one of them is 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 wrestling with his faith, but right, here. Right. Spoiler alert, we'll get to the reveal later. I mean, the priest is the killer. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's saying anything about the faith. That just He just happens to be a priest. That's just the setup for why he was introduced to these kids. Um, and I, I don't think Do it's you, saying... Uh, okay, we'll debate that later. I'm not so sure. I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. But I, I think that was on purpose. I mean, the Catholic Church really attacked Fulci. Despite the fact that sure. he went to mass every Sunday, it's 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 ironic, you know, mm-hmm. that so it's almost like he had a love hate relationship with his church. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But I think it, it handles the faith at least more respectfully than uh, like a lesser movie would. All right. So you you know, you brought this up. We we open literally on a woman digging up the remains of a child in a field. Mm-hmm. And then we shift to a, like a panoramic view of a quaint Italian village. But then, and this is something David Lynch would do later, we move to see that all is not as peaceful and bucolic as it seems. You've got a kid trying to kill a lizard. You've got a voyeur at a cat house. You've got a woman in the buff having a very inappropriate conversation with a little kid. Yeah. Um, Michelle, which folks, it was actually filmed separately. They were not in the same room at the same time. <laughs> that did not. I would hope not so. as, yes, it was not as creepy as it looked. They filmed the kid and the nude woman, Barbara Boucher in separate shots. Uh, Barbara Boucher, who by the way is German and man, she's got a heck of an IMDB resume. I mean, she's still acting. She's got movies that are in post-production now. She was in the original Star Trek, we, which we used to watch together. Whoa. Um, she really? Was in, yeah. She was in the original Casino Royale. She had a part in Scorsese's Gangs of New York. Um, she's had a long, long career. Um, and she becomes a protagonist in this film. But what, yeah. a, what, what a weird way to introduce one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering where it was going. Um because it's it's pretty, I mean, it's kind of sexual assault, isn't it? It is at least highly inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, and the and it would have been it would have been more understandable if she was like embarrassed or something, but th- she goes all in with it. So th- I think that was honestly more disturbing than the baby skeleton. Yeah, I agree. it's it's a disturbing scene. Um... And then we switch to the police search Mm -hmm. for the child of a poor family. Bruno. Yeah. And there's little characterization at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a disturbing scene after disturbing scene, which is very. This is what I, I, I said this earlier. This is what David Lynch would do earlier. And it makes me wonder if David Lynch was a Fulci fan and. What disturbs me is I had the opportunity. I spoke on the phone with David Lynch once when I lived in L.A. I had lunch with him once. 
But when I had lunch with him, he was mainly talking to my bosses. I worked for two songwriters, Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, who wrote uh, a bunch of hits in the 50s and 60s, especially for the Coasters and Elvis and, and, and so forth. And he wanted to use an Elvis song that they had written for his movie Wild at Heart for 1990. And he was looking for a deal. He was trying to sweetheart them. And so we met at a Bob's Big Boy <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in Toluca Lake. Um, and so he was very nice. David Lynch was very nice. But he, he was basically, you know, just grilling Lieber and Stoller about Elvis the entire time. Um, I was not as familiar with Fulci at the time. I wish I was so I could ask David Lynch at that time, um, are you a Fulci fan? Because he seems to do that. You look at films like Blue Velvet and so forth, and he seems to do that same thing that Fulci's doing here with Don't Torture a Duckling. So I guess what I'm saying, David Lynch, you should do a giallo. Anyway, <laughs> um, we have, of course, as with any giallo, we have a couple red herrings, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of them. Lots of them, coupled with, horrible police investigations and crowd control yeah i mean they're just working against themselves the entire time basically yeah i mean they're digging up a body while the entire town is standing back there yeah and little kids and priests and stuff they just let the priest walk on down oh my gosh yeah i look folks i worked on a death penalty case in law school uh, about the time you were born i was in west virginia searching for a body um but I can tell you that the instructions I was given is if I found anything that I even suspected that found a grave uh, to contact the police. And I pretty much are concerned that even the West Virginia police would have kept everyone a mile away. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on with the Italian police, but I guess it makes for good cinema, darn it. What do you, what yeah. do you think? Um, I mean, there wouldn't really be a mystery here if the cops were any good at their jobs. I mean, two, <laughs> a journalist and this random girl with a drug addiction figure it out, and the cops are still twiddling their thumbs. So, um, to the girl who has a drug addiction who sits around suntanning naked in front of prepubescent boys. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of glad they are bad cops because it wouldn't be as suspenseful without that. They'd just be like, huh. You know who knows all of these boys and is really, really creepy? That priest. Problem solved. But uh, yeah, they're they're not they're not so bright. Um, I think a lot of people in this movie are really stupid uh, because <laughs> there are a lot of like, no, what are you doing, idiot? Why would she be the one? Uh, those kinds of moments, but you wouldn't have a movie without them. Well, yeah, and, and to be fair to Fulci, let's face it, the world is filled with stupid people. I mean. Um, I was in a grocery store two days ago and I just went in to get coffee for my wife and I go grab the coffee. I have a mask. I have gloves on. I grab the coffee. I go to the self checkout aisle. I scan it. And one of the employees without a mask coughs on my neck. Great. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, there are stupid people out there. So one of the red herrings is early on, you have a emotionally disturbed homeless person mm -hmm. who is a suspect. <clears throat> and but the suspect is suspect because he and this may confuse American viewers. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not trying to be condescending. Um, 
he asked for only six million. Yeah, but six, I, that's my that was I was like that's a lot of money, and then I looked up the the conversion. I was like, that's uh, I did much. too. And today, six million Italian lira, according to what I looked up, according to the Google, would be a little over thirty three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not so a lot of money. Yeah, definitely uh, not. 100% there mentally. Right, exactly. So, which we get later again with another red herring, but mm-hmm. okay, so Fulci was often criticized because his effects were so good that they fooled people. Mm-hmm. What but did they the, think? He found actual corpses or something? Well, but what did you think of the body of the little boy floating? Because that thing makes Howdy Doody look, like look human like. Yeah, um, I mean, disturbing, but not realistic, I think. Uh, the, but, but then, in a few other scenes, you have a child strangled in the rain with no cutaway. Yeah, yeah, so there are some, some really terrifying moments, genuinely, uh, you know, bone-chilling moments, but there are a few dated effects. I wouldn't say they're bad, they're just dated. You can tell how they were done. Um, I think especially at the climax of the film, you can definitely tell how they were achieved. But again, you have to remember, this would have been watched in a lower definition than we get on our shutter transfer these days. Oh, on drive-ins. I mean, primarily in drive-ins and grindhouse theaters, right? Yeah. So and this I mean, did not get a wide theatrical release. because I can see why. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, I mean, it's not that disturbing by today's standards when we have like stuff like midsummer and hereditary but uh yeah in the early 70s i can see how this would be just you know causing an uproar so let me ask you as an aspiring filmmaker Mm -hmm. does the whole 4k you know hd thing when you're trying to convey reality does that bother you do you kind of wish it was still drive-ins with low definition Sometimes. I think it depends on the movie. Like, when you have something like The Shining, uh, I love seeing that in 4K because it was crafted in the highest possible quality available at the time and meant to be seen in high quality. And now, as it gets better and better, you know, no flaws are coming out, of course. It was Kubrick. Um, He made sure his shot was 100% clear. Um, So when something like The Shining or 2001, I want to see it in as high definition as I can. But when it's something schlocky, um, like the first Friday the 13th movie, or nowadays on Blu-ray transfers, you can see that Kevin Bacon's like body, his fake body in that arrow scene right. is a different color than his, than his head. Um, you know, that's a little distracting. I wish I had seen that for the first time on a VHS tape. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I get it. I get it. So, all right. Um... Here's the only problem I have with this movie. Mm -hmm. In the second act, it becomes a bit of a police procedural and it slows down. It drags a little. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I was thinking while I was watching it. I mean, this is like, what, an hour and 48? Um, I was thinking it could have been an hour and 38. Maybe take out some of the just walking back and forth and the police people talking. Um, I, one of the things I think was just a definite red herring was the whole, is his name Francisco, that, that guy, that uh, black magic I think guy? So. I think um, so. We see him earlier in the movie in a very suspect position, and then the police visit him, but they're there for entirely too long, and it never comes to anything, really, because 
later on, I think it's his house that's shown, and he's not there. So, um, I don't know. That that whole thing was a little slow for me. I do agree that in the second act, it was slower than the other two acts. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like a turnoff for me on the movie because I knew to expect that because it was Giallo-esque and they tend to have that kind of slow investigative second act. Even Suspiria has it. Yeah, true. That's true. All right. Fair enough. So uh, we get another red herring with the so-called witch Mm -hmm. who is clearly emotionally ill. Yeah. And she is horribly mistreated. Mm Mm-hmm. Which left me wondering if it was a commentary on the medieval Catholic Church treatment of women labeled witches. What do you Maybe. think? Maybe. It might be, but... Yeah, I was about to say, but we have sympathetic characters who, you know, are with her on this. And they, they're like, this is uh, violent and, and uh, wrong. But then I was thinking, of course, because they're supposed to be the audience. They're the filmmaker. So maybe the movie was making that point. I, I know the scene you're talking about. Uh, sort it was for me. It was sort of the um, stuck in the middle with you reservoir dogs kind of scene where they just set some horrifying scene to uh, like pop rock. Um, yeah, that that was that was that might have been a commentary. I don't know if it's necessarily Catholics, but it might have just been society in general. They rushed to conclusions and. Whenever they see somebody that fits the bill, they just pin stuff on them. Yeah, but given that this is a Catholic country, mm-hmm. and I don't know, it, it seemed to me like like Fulci is commenta- commenting on his own heritage. Yeah, and uh, there is stuff to pick apart. I mean, there is definite commentary on Catholics. I just don't know if that's the focus of the movie. All right, so you don't think he's being as anti-Catholic as many people accuse him of being? No, I don't think it's anti-Catholic so much as it's... Because anti-Catholic insinuates that he wants Catholicism to end, that he's against it. I think he's just addressing some problems with the structure of the religion. So it's an intramural kind of commentary. Sure. I I think it much in the same way that... um, That... The Exorcist can criticize some facts of Catholicism while presenting these people as respectable. I th- I think it's sort of like that, where he's not outright against Catholicism. He's just addressing that there is some uh, hypocrisy. There's a lot of people rushing to conclusions and sticking by old barbaric traditions and stuff. Okay, so a little like okay, so. I don't know if you've seen these, but like Robert Duvall's commentary on Pentecostalism and the Apostle or, you know, it's it, or Steve Martin's, you know, commentary and Leap of Faith. I mean, it's it's not saying it's not condemning it. It's just commenting on certain abuses. Exactly. OK. All right. So what did you think? And I know I know you're a Giallo fan, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not that well versed in it, but I've never seen, I've never seen one of the classic like musty giallos and thought this is bad. I've always enjoyed like um, Argento films and such. Okay, so what do you think of the reveal of the killer? Uh I think that it could have been handled better. 
Uh, I still think it's somewhat effective and it could have been worse, but it definitely could have been handled better. There's a misdirect near the end where the priest is kind of, you're like, okay, this is a, he's a stand-up guy. I think they could have gone all in with the suspicion to make the validation of those concerns like uh, more fulfilling. Because as is, it's just like, he's a really nice guy. Oh, never mind, he's a killer. And the only hints <laughs> that we have to that are that the camera lingers on him in some scenes. But he doesn't seem to be overly emotionally distraught. Um, and that might be the point, but I don't know. It, it, I can see where they're coming from, but I feel like they lightened the blow a little bit too much. Really? Mm-hmm. That's, that's just, interesting. Okay. And, and that's just... I was watching this and kind of figuring it out as I went. I was trying to figure out the mystery before the movie revealed it. But uh, it's it's really hard with these kinds of films because they just toss a million suspects at your face. Yeah, they have the witch. They have, yeah, they've got a couple other people that they throw at you. Um, like the mother of the priest who is initially portrayed as crazy and then it turns out it's her son and a very confusing scene uh where the the priest walks into the hut and the mom is there with the child and they're struggling over her and you don't know which one wants the well-being of the child or which one's going to kill her um so i think that was a good scene but the the reveal itself i think it was too i don't think it was set up well enough okay fair enough and I can see how this would make someone a Calvinist. Do you want to hear this? <laughs> oh, man. I can hear the, the Twitter replies now. It's bringing religion into this. Okay, let's hear about Calvinism. Well, it's a, it, it's a movie about religion, is it not? That is true. That is true. Okay. All right. So, all right. So, Calvinism's basic doctrine is you're either elect or you're not. Mm-hmm. God has either elected you to salvation or he has elected you to damnation. Um, and either one points to his glory. So Arminianism or Molinism teaches that people aren't even accountable for their sins until a certain age. And a lot of that comes through tradition of the Jewish tradition of that when you're 13, you become an adult. So that's when you get bar mitzvah, right? Mm-hmm. And the priest is operating under that, is he not? Yeah. uh, And if he kills these kids before they reach adulthood, they go straight to heaven, so... Maybe, but I was thinking more just... There's a a line, maybe it's a throwaway line, but he says something like, when they stop coming to confessions. And my thought was that he thinks they'll leave the church and that's when they'll be condemned to hell, and that he's going to stop them before that. Not that their sins don't count, because they're going to confession... I think that he's just. But you don't think that has to deal with before they become adults? Well, it does, but not because of any sort of being held accountable. I think it's just they won't come to confess anymore, uh, which is what he's afraid of. He, like I said, he mentions, and it even shows a scene of a boy coming out of a confessional. And I feel like he's afraid that they'll just abandon their faith and that he's got to stop them before they do that. Which comes with age. That's my point. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I get that. I'm just saying it's not necessarily the Calvinist doctrine. It's not. No, I'm just saying a Calvinist would love this movie in the sense that, you know, if you're not chosen, then, you know, and it shows the absolute psychosis of somebody who's, well, if you're not already, you know, even uh, able to be chosen, so therefore, you know, that's where I was going. 
Yeah, I get that. And I mean, I don't know. My point is just that um, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. That's an interesting take. I'll have to chew on that. All right. Fair enough. All right. That's fair enough. So, all right. So what else do you want to talk about with Don't Torture a Duckling? What stood out to you? Can we talk about the dramatic zooms in this movie? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. It's like they just got a zoom limb, like a like one of those $200 zoom lenses off of eBay, and they wanted to make sure they got their money's worth. So they it used is it 1971. In every, that's true, but every single dialogue scene, there's a, there's a zoom in on the eyes and a, oh, you know, one of those. And Fulci uh, has, and we'll get to this next week, spoiler alert for what we're coming to he has a thing about eyes. Yeah. I, I could have, and lips. That was, a, a lot of times what it'll do, it'll, it'll zoom in on the lips and then it'll pan up to the eyes. Uh, like again and again and again, every police questioning scene had at least four quick zooms into the face. Um, and it, it gets comical after a while because they're not even dramatic reveals. They'll just say something like, uh, I don't know, like something throwaway like, this is your name, correct? Oh, zoom in on their face. It's like, how did you know that? Uh, it just, I don't right. know. I love yeah. the style. Like, I would never do that, but I think it's really fun to watch uh, just to see how far sensibilities and cinematography and editing have come. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. It is, it's a little overdramatic. I, I appreciate Spielberg for only, like, using, like, the reverse zoom with that one shot in Jaws, right? Yep. Yeah, that's all you really need to interject a little drama. You don't need to use it all the time because then it gets worn out. All right. So, I, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So, all right. Um, for the low-budget Giallo, when, frankly, the market was already flooded mm -hmm. by this time, I do kind of like the cast. I, I'm not saying they're their best actors, but I, I think they do okay. I think they deliver the goods. What do you think? Here's my thing. I would have rather seen this in the original language with subtitles rather than dubbed. Uh, and I don't even know if that exists anymore. But um, I watched it. I, well, I watched it subtitles without dubs. Where did you see it? Because the one on Shudder, as far as I can tell, there's no way to switch it. To oh, just... okay. Well, my Shudder and Amazon Prime are connected. I watched it on Amazon Prime and it was subtitled. Mm. Well, I watched it on Shudder, and I think dub was the only option. And I feel like it kind of ruined the performances a little bit, because when their lips aren't matching what they're actually saying, and, um, I mean, it's just, it's a little distracting. Like, in one scene, uh, the mother of, uh, is it Michelle? Is he the one, the last one to die of the main group? He's one of the last ones, yeah. Um, so when he dies and they're at his funeral, she's got this big thing. She's like, the killer is here. Here. I can feel it. And she oh, screams yeah. out. Yeah, and yeah, when yeah, I was yeah. watching that with the dub, it was pretty cringy. That's the only way I can say that because her mouth wasn't moving, but the voice actor was just screaming at the top of her lungs. So, um, I, I think it definitely would have benefited from me just watching the subtitles. I'll have to go back and, and watch it on prime because, um, it was I it definitely added some non-existent humor into the film uh, when it wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right. So what else do you want to talk about? My favorite part of the movie, which I was not expecting because I was enjoying it. But then when is it Patrizia, you know, the 
very uh barbara boucher yeah yeah and martellini the reporter i kind of like the buddy cop part i mean I, that's the only way i can describe it they're going no, around trying to solve yeah. this i think they had a good chemistry yeah they had great chemistry but it doesn't come across that way to begin with because their first confrontations are really cold and stiff uh but then once they become basically accomplices or allies in this whole thing um, you know, they've got some good exchanges. I think the, the turnaround for them is when uh, Martellini brings her, her lighter. That whole exchange is pretty good. Um, I agree. Yeah. So that I yeah, think that she's I don't think she's given a lot to work with to begin no. with. But I think she later on, she really does do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like the exchange they have when they're driving, and she says, are, uh, are, so you're married then? And they just look at each other back and forth for a few, a few shots, and then she yeah. says, shame. So uh, I liked that. I think that was my favorite part of the movie. But I do have a problem with the fact that they're both going, because at the end, Martellini is fighting the priest, and they both fight the priest one by one. Why doesn't... Uh, why don't they tag team? Yeah, and- why don't they... Like, she's getting him while he's down. Like, none of that happens. He knocks one out, then the other comes and fights him, then gets knocked out, then the other comes back. So that, I think it would have benefited from maybe she gets separated somehow. The mom, like, pulls her down. Or even if they're both fighting and he's just swinging a rock and just happens to nail one of them, and so then it's one-on-one. Right. Yeah, it it felt very much like an original Star Trek episode where William Shatner will go in and throw down and then somebody else will just get hit and William Shatner will wait for the red shirt to die so they can go in and kill the monster. It it felt kind of like ironically, that. ironically, she was on the original Star Trek and right. she actually quotes the original Star Trek in this. Does so, she? Yeah, she does. Yeah. What does she say? I don't remember that. It's a quote from Hamlet that she quotes from uh, her episode on Star Trek, yeah. Well, uh, I definitely do think her character became more interesting by the end. The same is true with Martellini. He was my favorite part, my favorite character, I think, because even from the beginning, I mean, the way he's introduced, he goes onto the crime scene, the police tell him to go out, and then he just sneaks his way into the crime scene through a window and starts just talking to the the um, people involved in this case like he's meant to be there. It's just really funny to me. Um, so, I mean... I think the acting was pretty good on the whole. There are a few like classic giallo overacting scenes uh, where people are screaming and zooming into their face, especially the scene in the police station uh, where the witch, uh, you know, she gets so... Does she have a seizure? I guess that's what you would call it. Yeah, she it's gets, a seizure, yeah. She yeah. screams so much and gets so worked up that she has a seizure. And she's, she's obviously... I mean, she obviously has physical and mental problems, yeah. Right, and and... and I mean, I don't blame her after her child died and she's been through all this trauma. I mean, it's obvious that there's a backstory there. Um, but uh, apparently she thinks that she killed the the kids because she enacted a voodoo curse on them, even though we find out that it's just the priest. She, right. she felt guilty for it. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's some classic Italian overacting, but I think overall the acting is above average. It's it, None of it takes me out of it. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it, it is over the top, but it is not so over the top that I'm I'm out. Right. It's not comedic. It's just a little wonky. It's very 1972. Right. Which is the year I was born. So, you know, <laughs> I just celebrated my 48th birthday. Don't cast judgment. So 
Um, this was also the year of the Godfather, so not everyone was acting that way. Right. Um, I would so, have loved to see the Godfather made by an Italian filmmaker. Uh, that would have been great. Well, I mean, technically, Francis Ford Coppola is right. an Italian filmmaker. But you you but know what I meant. I want a Giallo I, I know what you said. Uh, oh, okay. All right. I'm there. All right. So what is your rating and recommendation for <sighs> Don't Torture a Duckling? This is tough because I think you've, you've talked me up for my original rating of uh, what I gave it. I would say, just to recap, great suspense, a couple very thrilling scenes, some pretty cool cinematography. I think it's pretty slow, like you mentioned, but that's just how giallas go. Um, you know, overall, I think I'm going to give it a 7.5 to an 8 out of 10. Okay. And um, I would call it a, I, I don't know, a high-priority rental. It's on Shutter and Prime, so... Yeah. Um, I mean, you have no excuse when we're in quarantine. And it's not that long. It's an hour and 48. It's not as long as it could be. From what I hear, some of his films are, are pretty long. But this is only, um, you know, it's not, not, not that much of a time sink is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's disturbing. Um, mm-hmm. If it didn't slow down a bit in the second act, this would be a 9 or a 10 for me. Uh, but as it is, I am sticking with my original rating of an eight out of 10. I call it a must watch, if not a buy. And like you said, it is currently streaming on shutter. So no reason for horror fans not to see it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody's gotten the free trial for, for shutter at this point, because we all know we're going to be inside for at least 30 days. Exactly. Exactly. So Folks, be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can currently find a commentary by the sun on Demon Wind and and another commentary soon to come. We hope to record one together uh, very soon. We hope to do that this week, but I had a death in my wife's family and it was just it was a rough week. So um, before we get on to next week's Fulci film, where can they find you online, buddy? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's one word. And I've also got a YouTube channel, which you can find the link floating around. Very good. So they can find us both on fatherandsonhorror.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and we have a closed Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Pastor Matt R, as well as on Letterboxd. And so next week, our continuing tribute to Mr. Fulci up to what would have been his 93rd, 93rd birthday, excuse me, is with his 1979 classic, which you can find on Shutter, Zombie. Ooh. So next week, Zombie, or as it was released in Europe, Zombie 2, because they tried to make it a <laughs> non fit. So, but yep. yeah, get a, you get to watch a zombie bite a shark next week so sweet uh, yeah exactly so stay safe during this quarantine uh we hope it's the last few weeks of this quarantine uh be sure to check out other great podcasts like horror movie podcasts land of the creeps uh retro movie geek terror on the tube and the huh podcast (laughs) so I always get a kick out of hearing you say that uh, podcast name. I know, I know. And I was messaging with Dino earlier today because he was getting ready to play in his church group with a Gene Simmons signature Punisher bass. How cool is that? Sweet, yeah. Exactly, that is cool. All right, so say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and don't forget your Donald Duck dolls.
Are you counting on us doing the New York Ripper? Is that what you're doing? Uh, eventually. We'll get around to it, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. But remember, that until next time, remember that the family that watches horror together slays together. Stay safe. See you next time.